on the altar of our praise, let there be no higher name. There is no name that can contend with you, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who has all power, the performer of your promises, the one who is unchanging, the one who is eternal, the one who is sufficient for all things, the one through whom we have been given all things for life and godliness, the name of Jesus Christ, the head of this church, who is promised to be with us to the end of the age, as we, by your power, carry out your mission and your strength for your glory to see disciples made of all nations. We bless your name. We lift your name higher, God. And right now, Jesus Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would expose our hearts, that we would not come under your word in pride, making excuses for our lives, but saying, Lord, what you say goes, have your way in my heart today. You are God, I am not. You are right, I am wrong. So God, have your way in my heart. Give me a heart that longs to worship you and you alone. Not myself, not my family, not my stuff, not my status you and you alone. And so right now, God, whatever has happened this week, I pray we just take a moment to cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. I pray that you would encourage and strengthen the weary and the weak. I pray you would refresh those who feel dry in this place today. Refresh them with a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit. Save those who are far from you. Unify your church. All these things, God, you say, bring glory to your name. So have your way. Guard my mouth from error. Say what you want to say and manifest your presence among us today. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, church, what a blessing it is to be back with you, as I mentioned. And today we have... Uh, the great privilege of kicking off our summer sermon series called The Heart of Worship, A Summer in the Psalms. And today, let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. And if you do not have a Bible, put up your hands right now. Our ushers are coming forward. We want to put a Bible in your lap so you can continue to follow along verse by verse, line by line in Psalm 105. And it's on page 289 for those Bibles that are being handed out right now. 289. The Heart of worship. And you say, well, why the heart of worship? Well, let me remind you of a couple things. Our theme for this year that we started was foundations, getting back to the heart. Such a crucial theme for us. And so we started at the heart of the gospel. We were going through the gospel of John, and Lord willing, we'll pick it up in part two in the fall. And then we went to what is God's heart for the home, building the house. And then we went into the series on Titus, where we went through the book of Titus, what is God's heart for the church? And now we start into the heart of worship. And we're going to be answering a few questions here throughout this series, Lord willing. What is true worship? What is true worship? We get a lot of ideas in our heads. We see a lot of images, a lot of pictures. There's been a lot of quote-unquote advice on what worship has to look like. But there's only one's advice that we need to take. And what is it? Who is it that is God alone? And he hasn't left us alone through his word. He's told us exactly what he desires in his worship. So what is true worship? Secondly, what is the heart that God desires from us in worship? What is the heart that God desires if he is to receive it? 
You only need to look at Amos chapter 5 and you will see not all so-called worship is received by the Lord. That's a wake-up call for us, church. So what is the heart that God desires from us in worship if he's to receive it? And here it is, from the overflow of that, what does living a life of true worship look like? When Jesus says in John 4, as we looked at already this year, when he says in John 4, 23, 24, true worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that look like? And then what does sound doctrine from God's word say this is to look like? Not latest trends in church missiology or anything like this, but what does God's word from the sound doctrine of his truth say a lifestyle of worship is to look like? And so over the next week, next six weeks, we're going to get a biblical picture of worship, a good theology of worship, because theology informs practice always. Amen? Theology informs practice. And so we're going to, over the next six weeks, get a biblical picture of worship by looking at various psalms. Various psalms that each emphasize a posture of the heart that God is looking for that overflows into a life of living true worship for him. So before we go any further, we got to make sure we're on the same page. Okay? And so you'll see this definition of worship unpacked over the next six weeks. You'll see it comes right from God's word. But for now, write this down. This is going to be our baseline definition we're going to be rolling through over the next six weeks. Worship is the passionate expression of my love for God. Notice this. Because of his love for me that overflows in my life and from my life. I'll say it again. Worship is the passionate expression of my love for God because of his love for me that overflows in my life. See, there's the heart piece. And now what's the horizontal? From my life. There's the external. There's the lifestyle. And you say, well, why is this so important? I mean, can't we just come and sing songs and hear from God's word and pray? Like, why is the heart of worship so important? Why would he designate 150 psalms in the Psalter to give us the biblical blueprint for what worship is to look like? Why would he spend such a huge chunk of his word doing that? Well, here's why. Here's why this is so important. Because worship of the true God is the very purpose of our lives and why we were created. There it is. That's why it's a big deal to God and needs to be a big deal to us. Worship of the true God is the very purpose of our lives for which we were created. To give God glory in all things. Don't believe me? Just read Isaiah 43. You who I created for my glory. But I think you look around here, there's there's a big problem we face in the church and in the culture today. And it is this. We constantly give our worship to other things. Would you agree? We constantly give our worship to other things. Know this, loved ones. Every moment of every day, we are tempted to worship anything and anyone other than the true God. Every moment of every day. There is a heart battle, a daily heart battle going on. From the time your alarm goes off till the time your head hits the pillow at night. There's a heart battle raging. And instead of living our lives in worship of the true God, we are increasingly tempted to exchange our worship of God for the worship of idols. What do some of these idols look like? Let's take a look. How about success in our culture? Do you think that's an idol? 
We're tempted to worship success. We're tempted to worship entertainment. Some of the biggest houses of worship on this planet are in football and soccer stadiums right now. Sundays. We're tempted to worship TV series, as petty as that sounds. We're tempted to worship our finances. We're tempted to worship sex. Tempted to worship relationships. I want to worship the thought of a spouse more than the presence of God. We're tempted to make idols of family. Good thing given to us by God. But if we are not careful, we exchange our worship of him for the worship of it. Possessions. We're tempted to worship food. What is it? Retail therapy? Is that what it's called these days? Possessions and food? Comfort food? Really, really? Your comfort zone is found in the presence of God. We're tempted, and all these things, kind of this, this underlies it all. We're tempted to worship self. Self. Our desires, our agendas, our timing, all of that, our pride. We can make ourselves an idol so easily. So the question that needs to be addressed, and that's just a small snapshot. The question that needs to be addressed to confront this is, how do we live with a heart of worship for God alone? This is what the Psalter unpacks for us. And it starts with this, our title for today, A Heart of Dependence. A heart of dependence on God alone. And here's the truth right out of the gate we need to embed on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The heart of worship for God starts with a heart of dependence on God. The heart of worship for God starts, it has to start, with a heart of dependence on God alone. It can't happen any other way. You say, what do you mean by that? Because here's the truth. Whatever has your dependency has your worship. Whatever you feel you're dependent on has your worship. Example, what do you mean by that? If you're dependent on the approval of man for your identity, people have your worship. If you are dependent on success, your job has your worship. If you are dependent on yourself, your strength has your worship. Your agendas have your worship. Your timing. Students, we have a lot of students in our church, they'll be coming back like an onslaught in about a month, praise the Lord for them. But if they're dependent on their success in their grades, their exams, their assignments have their worship. And we will put Other things on hold, how often do we hear in times, well, I'll get back to my God time when it's not such a busy season. Really? There's an indication of what has your worship. But here in our text, we see three postures of a heart that is dependent on the Lord. That we must continually embrace, three postures of the heart, that we must continually embrace if we are to live lives of true worship that bring God alone, the glory. Let's open up Psalm 105. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word, and we will read verses 1 to 6. Tell all of his wondrous works. Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. 
Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. His miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant. Children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Hear the word of the Lord, loved ones. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, a heart of worship is a heart of dependence. First point we see here that continually celebrates God's work. A heart of worship is a heart of dependence that continually celebrates God's work declaration. And the question we're confronted with by these three verses to kick off our text today is this. I must praise God. Notice this. I must Praise God for what he has done. Am I giving him the praise? I must praise God for what he's done. Am I giving him the praise? Look at verses 1 to 3 again. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Notice, by the way, there's 10 imperatives here. 10 commands God gives for our worship in five verses. It's incredible. Oh, give thanks to the Lord Call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Let's get some context. We always got to interpret scripture in its right context. This is a historical psalm. This is a, a, a recounting of some of Israel's history. A historical psalm of praise. The, it's a hymn. The tone of the praise is one of gratitude. They're celebrating and recounting God's works on behalf of his people. Who are his people? The nation of Israel. And they're recounting God's works to deliver them. And it really sums up a lot of God's work in the life of the nation of Israel from Genesis all the way to Joshua. It's 45 verses long. And it starts in verses 7 to 15 after this call to praise in the first six verses. It recalls the covenant or promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis that God would establish the nation of Israel through him. It starts there, verses 7 to 15. And then it continues to recount what God did to fulfill that promise. Then he moves on in verses 16 to 25. He talks about how he brought Joseph. He had him sold as a slave and brought him to Egypt, ultimately to establish and bring the people of Israel into Egypt. So he talks about how God was with Joseph and how God elevated him to second in command and therefore the people of Israel, Joseph's family, started coming to Egypt and multiplied. And then he moves on in verses 26 to 38 to talk about Moses, God's work through Moses in the exodus of people out of Egypt, out of slavery that they had been in for 400 years. And how he launched the plagues on Egypt. It lists a bunch of the plagues and there are eight out of the ten. But then he moves on in verses 39 to 42 to talk about God's provision for the Israelites in the wilderness after he brings them out. He's now providing for them. He says, fresh water from the rock and manna, how he fed them. He's remem remember Israel, remember what God has done. And then in verses 43 to 45 to finish off the psalm, the psalmist recounts how Joshua was led by God to lead the Israelites to settle in the promised land. The victories he gave them in battle to take the land finally and see that promise fulfilled. Now why go into all this detail through this psalm? Why does the psalmist do this? The purpose is this, to be instructive. To be instructive to the people of Israel in reminding them of this. Ready? 
to depend on God alone. He's not saying, Israel, you brought the plagues. You delivered yourself. Uh Uh-uh. Who's the only one who gets glory for that? Your dependency has to be on God alone, no matter how difficult a situation was that they were facing, and continue to encourage them to live lives of worship to God right in the midst of it. Hey, hey, hey. Encourage them right in the midst of the coming trials they would face. Encourage them to a heart of worship that is dependent on God alone, who doesn't change even though their circumstances will. In the suffering in the conflict, in the discouragement that awaited them in the promised land. Heart of worship in the good times. See, their dependency wasn't to be on anything else than the very God who has all authority and was over every situation they would face. Your situation will change, but your God never will. Write that down and keep that in the bank of your heart. Your situation will change. That sickness will come. That trial's going to come. The hurt and the pain and the conflict are going to come, and your situation will change, but your God who's over it never will. And so if you and I depend on anyone else, we're not living lives of true worship. So verses 1 to 3 here, the psalmist starts off by calling the people to praise. Before he launches into what God, he's calling them to praise by celebrating and declaring what God has done for them to fulfill what he promised to do. And their agenda for their worship, their focus for praise and celebration wasn't to be what they think they accomplished themselves. Look at us. We delivered ourselves. We are so good. I was responsible for this. It was my effort that did this. It was my smarts and my brains. No, no, no. It wasn't themselves. It wasn't other things. It wasn't other people. It was on God and his works alone because, here's here's what we have to understand, God's works were the deciding factor, the deciding factor in delivering Israel from what they faced. And God's works, God's works alone are still today the deciding factor. God always has the final say. Not you, not me. So live in the text. Why does he do this? Why does he call them to this? Well, because think about this. If you're, put yourself in the text. If you're an Israelite right now, you know, Think about how easy it would have been to get cocky. You've seen God has used you to take down the most powerful nation in the world at the time, Egypt. God has used you, your forefathers, one man, to make descendants as numerous as the stars and to make a people, a nation for himself. By the way, he calls you his chosen ones. God has used you to win the battles in the promised land, to see that promise fulfilled. How easy would it have been for them to get cocky, to start being self-dependent, to start becoming self-reliant, prideful, to say, we can do this, we got this. God was with us before, he'll be with us again. Good. How easy, just look at this, how easy is it for us to run to God in the hard times, but when we're called to times of celebration, things aren't bad, we put God to the back burner. That's an indication of where our dependence really lies. 
So here the psalmist is calling them back, knowing that our hearts are idol factories, as Tim Keller said. Our hearts are idol factories, and we are prone to go to whatever or whoever than God himself. And so today, think about this today. Bring it into today. We live in a culture that says our dependency and thus our worship should be on anyone or anything but God. As such, God shouldn't be the one we celebrate. God should not be the one we celebrate. He shouldn't be the object of our praise, the recognition of glory. Hey, hey, you and I should be. We should be the object of praise. We should get the glory. We should be recognized by people. We should be getting the praise and the thank yous. We should be the ones being celebrated. We're bombarded with these messages. Just look around. Look at this. You can do it. You want to set a kid up for failure? Preach that message to them. You've got what it takes. Really? You sure about that? Believe in yourself and your dreams will be accomplished. Really? Look what you did. You deserve recognition. You deserve to be praised. People should be declaring your name and thanking you. And if you fall, you can pick yourself up and be that self-made man or woman. There is no such thing as a self-made man or woman. There's the culture we live in. Feeding the pride. You deserve to have it your way. And the underlying message to all of this is this. If you break everything down to the bottom line, it is this. You can depend on yourself. Question. Will this lead you to a worship of God or of you? And of other things you think will build you up? Where's that going to lead? What has your dependency has your worship. Never mind the truth behind all that, that the only reason you or I had any breath, any brains whatsoever, any clarity or wisdom of any kind in that situation, any strength to do that task at all, and we're allowed to have any deliverance at all, is only because God in his grace gave that to you and me. The book of Daniel is beautiful, looking at the sovereignty of God. And it's, I remember when Daniel's standing in front of King Belshazzar and he says, the God who's giving you breath right now. What, what do you and I honestly think we could do without him? Like really, boil it down to the bottom line. The only reason you and I have that breath right now is because God just, in his mercy for you, gave it to you. So you tell me, whose works are the deciding factor that are worthy to be praised? Yours, mine, or God's? Forgetting the job. Oh, I'm so good. It was what, Really? You got that because God in his grace decided to give it to you. Who's worthy of praise? You tell me. Who's the deciding factor in all of this? You know, for me, being a parent of young boys, <clears throat> it's even tempted to be like, 
yeah, you know, I imagine myself, I'm praying against this right now, even in, you know, 10 years, whatever, boys doing whatever they're doing, working, and blah, 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 if that's what God has for them. But listen, it's so easy for parents to say, it's because of my good parenting that happened. Really? Then tell that to the faithful husband and wife who've been pouring into their children and their kids are walking away from the Lord. Who, who, what? Who's really responsible for what happens to our kids? Who really has the final say? Who's the only one who can change their hearts? Who's worthy of praise? So question, a heart of dependence will praise God for what he's done. Are you giving him all the praise? The fact that you can drive to work tomorrow. Who's getting the praise for that? Your heart or effort? Or the Lord's mercy? And you may say, well, what does this look like? To a life of celebration, which is a life of worship of what God has done. Well, Here's the four, four ways we see outlined right in this text. Let's just go right into the text. Four ways we celebrate God's work. Number one, give him thanks. Don't take it for granted. Give him thanks. Don't take it for granted. Look at verse 1a. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. That's a command. Give thanks to the Lord. The, the Hebrew term for give thanks there means to throw or cast praise on the Lord. I love it. It's a picture of a stone being thrown. Just continue to throw praise and thanks on the Lord because you're going to throw it somewhere. Get it on the Lord constantly. Oh, give thanks. Throw, cast the praise on him. Notice what it says there. Give thanks to the Lord. Let's do it continually. That means live in continual gratitude towards the Lord. That's a key word for today, gratitude. Ever notice, hey, loved ones, do you ever notice how much of a thankless life we live towards the Lord? You ever notice that? How much of a thankless life we live. We complain about the very job that he gave us. We complain about kids. We complain about spouses. We complain, complain. How much of a thankless life do we live? That's not a life of worship. It's a thankless life towards the Lord for his works he's done for us every day. And do you ever notice how, how prone we are to be asking God for things, but how often do we spend significant time thanking him for when he answers? Just run on to the next request. The psalmist starts out by saying, give thanks. Give thanks continually. Cast it on him. We have to understand this. This is why he starts with it. Thankfulness is the primer of our praise. Write that down. Thankfulness is the primer of my praise. It's the primer. The dependency is the primer of thankfulness. See how this works? Thankfulness is the primer of praise, but dependency is the primer of thankfulness. Because when you and I realize it's only because God did that and we are dependent on him for that, that leads to thankfulness. What does thankfulness lead to? Worship. Because it keeps you, this dependency keeps you clearly aware that the only reason something happened, the only reason you got through that situation, the only reason you got that job, the only reason that happened, the only reason that deliverance came was because the Lord worked on your behalf and you are dependent on him for everything. That's the only reason. That's why you'll see on the screen, the thankful heart is a dependent heart, but the thankless heart is a prideful heart. The thankful heart is a dependent heart on the Lord. The thankless one is a prideful heart. 
I had something to do with this. Of course I did. Are we called to walk in obedience? Yeah, absolutely. Where do you get the strength to walk in obedience? The Lord. Who's deserving of that praise? That's why 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. There it is, cast it. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. There it is. God's will is our worship. Always. In all circumstances. God's will is our worship. That's why we give thanks in all circumstances. Yes, in the trial. Yes, in the sickness. It's just been such a blessing over the last few weeks just sitting with people who are going through some very painful things. And yet they're pointing to the Lord and thanking him for giving them strength to get through. Their eyes are off themselves and they're on the Lord and they're just continuing to cast the praise on them. That doesn't happen with a prideful heart. Because here's the truth. Gratitude, loved ones, gratitude is the attitude that sets the magnitude for our worship. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the magnitude, the size of our worship. I love it. Gratitude, attitude, magnitude. So question, are you thanking God for what he's done? Look at your past week. Just how often did you thank the Lord for the job, for the opportunity, for the fact that you have food on your table? For the fact he gave you strength in that trial? Maybe you're not out of it yet. You're still going through, but the fact he gave you breath for another day, are we thanking him or are we so focused on ourselves? Who are we worshiping? First off, four ways we celebrate God's work. Give him thanks. Don't take it for granted, loved ones. Number two, proclaim his name. Don't proclaim yours. Look at this, verse one. Oh, give thanks to the Lord... Call upon his name. Call upon his name. The Hebrew word there for call upon means to proclaim. Proclaim his name. It means to proclaim who the Lord is and what he has done. Now, let's just think. Okay, name, Lord. Okay, Lord. We'll proclaim the Lord. What does Lord actually mean? Hebrew word there, all caps, is Yahweh. You want to know what Yahweh means? Here, here, here. This is why we proclaim his name. Um, The one who is eternal. The one who is the performer of his promises. This is why we proclaim his name. The one who brings into being. He literally says life and brings it into being. Think of creation. He spoke and the world was created. The giver of existence The absolute and unchangeable one. What a packed name. Then there's you and me. Question, whose name are you proclaiming? I did that. I did this. Surely I had something to do. Or the Lord. Whose name do you want to be proclaimed in your situation, in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, with your boss? Whose name are you really proclaiming? Yours or the Lord? How about in the classrooms? Yeah, I got the grades. Did you? Did you really get those? You worked hard, praise the Lord. But did you really get them? Who gave them to you? Yeah, look what we accomplished as a church. Sorry, who accomplished it? Who's the head here? Who's the king? 
in our home. Yeah, look at our great planning led us to buy the house or to, to, to do this or to take the vacation or just to have that big nest egg. Really? Did you guys do that? My accomplishments that were whose name are you proclaiming? Number one, four ways we celebrate God's work. Give him thanks, don't take it for granted. Number two, proclaim his name, don't proclaim yours. And I love this next one. Declare his deed, get specific. How do we celebrate? Declare his deed. Look at this. Make known, verse one, back half, make known his deeds among the peoples. Declare his deed and get specific. The Hebrew term for make known there means to declare, teach, and acknowledge. God's works to others among the people. That's the nations. What does this show us? You'll see it on the screen. A life of worship is a life of witness. A life of worship is a life of witness. A life of worship will declare the deeds of the Lord and not the, de- de- the deeds of self. It's not all about you in the conversation. You ever been in those conversations where a person's just going and it's about them, 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 them. Where, where's the Lord in this? Declare his deed. Get specific. Being a faithful witness to others. Its purpose, worship's purpose is to declare what God has done in our lives that others may see his glory and come to know him. Hey, loved ones, here's the truth. You and I aren't doing anyone any favors by proclaiming our own name. We're not doing anyone any favors. Someone's not going to be saved because you proclaimed yourself. We are to be proclaiming not our great deeds, the great deeds of God. We can't be expecting people to be saved and grow in love for God more if we're pointing to ourselves constantly and how awesome we are. It's not, I'm awesome. No, 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 no. Here's what declaring the deeds of the Lord says. God is awesome. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is the one who came and humbled himself to come to earth as fully God and fully man. Jesus is the one who lived a perfect life and then went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sin that you and I never could. Jesus was the one that saved us if for all who repent of their sin and confess him as their Lord and Savior from an eternity of hell and damnation apart from him. Jesus is awesome. I am not. One of the most, one of the best things you can just make a regular practice is just this. When someone says, great job, you say, praise God. Just do this with your face. Praise God. Can we do that right now? Here we go. Come on. Praise God. That's one of the best things you can do. It doesn't mean you have to exegete an entire passage. Well, God did that because he's sovereign over the universe. Praise God. Get it off yourself and get it on him who rightly deserves it. Praise God. Declare the deed. I'm not awesome. Jesus is. And be specific. When people are asking, what has God done? Be specific. Notice the rest of the psalm and all the way to verse 45. It's specific acts the psalmist recounts. Okay? Be specific. Okay, what does that mean? I've been saved. And when someone says, wow, you've really changed. And the word's like, you're not the same person. What happened? Jesus saved me. And now because of the power of the gospel, this is as it's worked out in our lives, I was afraid, but Jesus helped me through the gospel by. I was afraid, but Jesus took away my fear and gave me his faith. I was struggling with anxiety. I was anxious, but through the gospel, Jesus became my peace. When I was weak, Jesus strengthened me. When I'm going through that trial, Jesus, how, how often do people say, man, you're so calm in the trial. Why? Because of Jesus. 
Because Jesus, every day, he says, when I approach him with confidence, I will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And this is an example of it. Praise his name. Because I'm so done on my own. When I was doubting, Jesus gave me faith by, fill it in. Declare the deed and be specific. This is what God has done for me. This is what he did in this situation. This is what he did. And he can do that for you too. Get specific. Declare his deeds. So question, are you continually declaring what he's done? Worship his witness. Fourth, four ways we celebrate God's word. Give him thanks. Don't take it for granted. Proclaim his name. Don't proclaim yours. Declare his deed. Get specific. And fourth, we see this. Sing his praise. Glory in his name. See that? Two and three. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. See, it means exalting the Lord through song and rejoicing in him from the heart for who he is and what he has done. It's his name. No, it says glory in his holy name. What is, why does it say that? Because it's talking about God's character. Glory. Give him praise for his mercy. Give him praise for his holiness. Give him praise for his righteousness. Give him praise for his justice. Give him praise for, oh, just, you will never run out of things. Trust me. It's talking about the character of God, the holiness of God, kindness of God, the righteousness of God, and then what he's done for us as a result of that. In the Hebrew there where it says, notice the word heart. Of course God goes back to the heart. Verse 3, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord. What's the heart talking about? The very seat of all emotion and passion. God wants all your emotion, all your passion directed towards him. It's the seat of our praise, the center of being. It is worship, literally, not just some external action, but that action overflows from the center of our being and passion to our God. Now, whose name are we glorifying? Are we glorying in his name or ours? See, and this is why in church... This is why when we come together and we had beautiful times of worship through music today, when we sing, when you hear the preaching of God's word, when you get into small groups and you open up that word of God in that text, by the way, don't forget to apply to small groups. They're filling up very quickly. Do that today. Teaching, when, when, when the prayers that we pray at the prayer night we just had on Wednesday, listen, all of them exalt Jesus. All of them. And what he's done and continues to do for us. Why? For the purpose of glorying in his name and not our own. The worship of God is never to be man-centric. It's not about so much just about how God makes us feel. It's who God is, how awesome he is, and how holy he is, and the love and beauty of Jesus Christ. It is not to be man-centric. Whose name are you glorying in today? And you may say this. <laughs> got to laugh this week. You may say this, well, I can't sing. You ever hear that? How many of you don't think you can sing, right? Like, oh, I'm not opening my mouth. I can't sing. You don't want to hear that. We want people to come to know the Lord, not run, right? Right? Well, here's the reality. You can sing. Are you saying it again? You can sing. Yes, you. You can sing. You can stop hiding. Why? God commands us to sing. And remember, God will, here's a beautiful gospel truth. God will not command from you what he's not first willing to do in you. You can sing. 
get on that joyful noise train, okay? Just start. We're going to have another opportunity in a few minutes after the end of the sermon. You can sing. Have at it. We're commanded to sing. Let's make that joyful noise. A heart of worship is a heart of dependence that can continually celebrates God's work through declaration. But here, this is what declaration outflows from. A heart of dependency will also posture to seek God's presence, devotion. Seek God's presence, devotion. Question, the presence of God fuels my worship of God. Am I seeking his face? The presence of God fuels my worship of God. Am I seeking his face? Look at verse 4. It says this, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Think God cares about seeking? He just commanded it twice. The psalmist emphasizes right here. This is the whole crux of the passage. Put a big circle around verse 4. He emphasizes the single greatest factor that fuels a heart of worship. Here it is right here. Being devoted to seeking the manifest presence or face of God continually. That is the greatest factor in our worship. Seeking the presence of face of God, the intimacy of God. And you, may, and you may say this, well, wait a second, I thought God's always with us. It's like God's omnipresent. He's everywhere, right? Yes, he is omnipresent, but there's a difference between the omnipresence of God, which is over all things, and the manifest, intimate, conscious presence of God in our lives. There's a big difference. Omnipresence, yes, he's everywhere all the time. Psalm 139, he's all over the place. But there's a very big difference between the manifest, intimate, conscious presence of God in our lives. And Israel, like us, was constantly tempted to look at other things or resources to be dependent on for their strength. They were seeking other things, seeking other opportunities, resources, instead of being dependent on God for their strength and meeting their needs and deliverance. And yet God tells them here that if they would seek him continually, the word continually there, you know what it means? Without interruption. There's no holding the phone when it comes to God. Hold the phone, God. I got something better to do. Mm -mm. Seek his presence continually without interruption by deliberately humbling themselves and choosing. Humility is a choice, loved ones. This is a choice. You have a choice. Remember I said the heart battle every day? You and I have a choice to seek the presence of God or to seek out other things in our lives. Every day, every moment. We have a choice to make without interruption. We must choose in humility to humble ourselves under him and draw near to him. And the Lord would gladly provide them with all that was needed in their situation. But they would get something much greater than what they were after. You know what they would get? Him. I want the outcome. The worst thing that could happen to us, loved ones, is for us to get what we're begging God for and miss getting God in the process. God's like, you think you need this. You just need me. Okay? You seek me first. You seek my presence. You seek my power. I'll take care of the outcome how I want to do that, to love you well and to be glorified in that. Your job is not to seek the outcome. Your job is to seek the one who's over it. That's what it means. Seek his presence continually. See? You'll see it on the screen. The truth is the heart that is dependent on God is a heart that is devoted to seek the presence of God because all our chips are in that basket. It's God or bust.
It means constantly setting our minds towards God in all our experiences and to direct our hearts and minds to him through the means he's given us to do so. And look around today, church. Today we're tempted to seek so many other things continually for our deliverance. We're, continuing to, we're tempted to seek so many other things as our first love, as of greater importance than seeking God's presence. We're tempted to seek jobs. We're tempted to seek out friends. We're tempted to seek entertainment. We're tempted to seek hobbies. We're tempted to seek summer vacations. Too many of us, right in the middle of the summer, why do we take a summer vacation from our walk with the Lord? Why? Why? I don't see that biblically. And no, one, no wonder, look, loved ones, no wonder we live stressed out, anxious, worried, fearful, joyless lives because we're running to other things. And too often, I was in a drive through the other day and it just hit me. Too often, we just want the drive through version of God instead of the banquet that he is desiring to lay out for us each day. Just give me the Happy Meal version. Just get me through the day. Just real quick. I'll give you my three minutes, God, and then I'm off to do my thing. Whose presence are you? What are you seeking as your greatest devotion? God's like, I'm offering you a place at the banquet table of my presence. Why are you settling for the drive through And then we wonder why we're all stressed. Well, I don't see God at work. Maybe because you don't see him. He's like, I've got what you need, loved ones. I've got what you need. But we forfeit drawing near to God and experiencing the supreme presence and joy and worth and peace and power and beauty of Jesus Christ's presence through the means he has given us. I love how Amos 5.4 just sums this up beautifully right here. Amos 5.4, it says this. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. I just love that. Life verse. Seek me and live. True life, true worship is only found in the presence of God. True life overflows from the presence of God. Just seek me and live. But what about my house? What about this? What about seek me and live? But what about this? I gotta do this. Seek me and live. Matthew 6:33 just says this: seek first the kingdom. Of God and his righteousness. What do you say? All these things will be added. I love the tagline. All these things you're worried about, I'll be added. But I love you too much to give you those things and not give you me. Seek first the kingdom. What are you seeking as your priority today? What are you seeking? Seek me and live. True life, true worship is found in God's presence. So, question. You may ask, well, what are the means God's given us to draw near to him? I want to do that, but how do I seek him? Real fast, three things, three fundamental things. Here's just three of them to get us started. Number one, to seek the Lord, we need to seek the Lord through his word. Get to the banquet table every day. Ditch the drive through go to the table. If then, Paul says in Colossians 3, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. There it is. Where Christ is, Christ's presence. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds, there it is, mind, heart, on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Take your eyes off the horizontal, loved ones, and get them on the vertical. Run to the Lord every day. I love how Martin Luther said it one time. He said, you know what? I have so many things on my schedule to do. I have this, 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 this. I don't have enough time to do it. I think I'll spend the first three hours of day in prayer. 
Yes. That's good theology. What about this? What about, what about God? We can't live lives of worship if we don't seek him. If we want just a cut version of him. See, the word of God fuels our worship for God through those personal times that we get up, through our corporate times as a church, as you come under the authority of God's word, as you get in together in small groups, when we do prayer nights corporately, but then with counsel, continually to seek the Lord through faithful, wise, biblical counsel from people, your brothers and sisters that are growing in a fear of the Lord. Don't go to people who's giving you advice off Facebook. It's not going to lead you to the presence of God. God's word will do that. It's sufficient to do that. So question, are you in the drive through lane or at the banquet table each day? drive through or banquet, where are you? And it doesn't say this. Notice this, scripture doesn't say, be rushed and know that I am God. You know, get that? Be rushed and know that I'm God. drive through here's your happy meal. Uh-uh. Psalm 46.10, be still. Be still and you'll know that I'm God. And I'll be exalted in the nations. Which is it for you? Which is it for me? See, the more we know God through his word, the more genuine our worship will be. Okay, number one, seek the Lord through his word. Number two, seek the Lord through prayer. Jeremiah 33, 3, I love this. God says, call to me. There's the command. Call to me and I will answer you. That's an amazing promise. I will answer you, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. See, prayer is, you know what prayer is? Prayer is a declaration of our dependence on God. Prayer is a declaration of our dependence. It's like, basically, if I could sum up prayer, it'd be like this. Help, God. Help. I don't have the strength. I don't have the resource. I don't have the wisdom. I can't do this. Help. But prayerlessness, on the other side of that, is a declaration of our independence from him. I don't need to live a life of worshiping you because I got this thing figured out. I can just worship myself. I can be God. Prayer is a declaration of our dependence. Come to the prayer nights. It was so beautiful on Wednesday. Just come. Are you turning to prayer or are you turning to just action? Busyness. Number three, seek the Lord through his word. Seek the Lord through prayer. Number three, seek the Lord through humble obedience. Look at Jeremiah 29, 13. He says this. You will seek me. Here's the promise. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's not, well, I'll worship God, but I'll worship this too. No, no, no. God's not interested in playing competition with your other idols. He says, you will seek me when you seek me with your whole heart and you will find me. Increasingly walking in holiness by God's power, our whole heart, that seed of passion, that seed of emotion, increasingly walking in holiness. Remember, it's not about perfection, it's about perseverance and the power of the Spirit. You will seek me and find me, asking the Spirit to fill us each day, to live by his power and not by the flesh. So question, the presence of God fuels our worship for God. Are you seeking his face? Be honest with her. Can we just humble ourselves, loved ones, or family? Can we just humble ourselves? Are you really seeking his face? Or do you want just what you can get from him? Are you truly seeking his face? Ask. Take it before the Lord. Humble yourself. What's your next step? Maybe it might be simple as this. God, today I have tons of stuff to do, and I'm anxious, and I'm worried, and I'm, I'm just busy, and I don't think I can make this time with you. 
but I'm choosing by faith right now to seek your face, knowing that all I truly need is found in you. And can I just encourage you? Do you realize this? God can do more in five seconds than you and I can in five lifetimes of striving and effort. God can literally do this. Whose face are you seeking? Who has your devotion? See, a heart of worship is a heart of dependence that continually celebrates God's work through declaration, seeks God's presence through devotion, and lastly is this, we land this plane, remembers God's faithfulness, reflection. Question, God has done great things for me. Am I remembering his faithfulness? God has done great things for me. Am I remembering his faithfulness? Look at the last two verses here. Five, six. Remember the wondrous works that he's done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. See, the psalmist then tells the people of Israel, that is God's chosen ones, that they must remember, that is call to mind, call it to mind, call it to mind, the wondrous works of the Lord in their lives by remembering how he has displayed his power on their behalf and poured out his judgments upon their enemies to deliver. And he's talking about Egypt. That's why he just recounted it in the rest of the song. Why is this so important? He finishes with this. Because the purpose of remembrance is to reflect on how God has been faithful in the past to strengthen my faith and encourage me in the present that he will be again. Looking back and seeing God has been faithful gives us faith to look ahead and believe that he is able. Remember God's faithfulness. And it may not have looked like what you thought it would look like, but it will be what is right. And this purpose is to lead us into worship of him right in the middle of the circumstances. But you notice this? Satan loves. Satan loves to get us to forget. He loves it. To forget what God has done. Why? Because remembering rightly redeems our rejoicing. Remembering rightly, as a pastor said, redeems our rejoicing our worship it bolsters the heart of worship in us by taking eyes off what we're facing and puts them on the one who can handle what we're facing so question last one of the day whatever you're facing right now i want you to think of this whatever you're facing right now what has god done in the past that you need to remember right now of his faithfulness to you what has he done in the past that you need to remember get your eyes off your situation Call it to mind what has God done in the past. Spend time this week writing it down. Just list the ways. Just start. What has God done in the past for me? What has God done in the past? Here's what I'm facing, but what has he done in the past? How has he been faithful? God, I'm going through this, but I'm putting my dependency on you, and I worship you because I remember when you did what? And it's only fitting we take time now to remember the faithfulness of God and the greatest display of his power through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ is the foundation for our worship of Christ. It is what we are dependent upon for it all. And true worship, loved ones, hear this. True worship is never dependent on the next thing you think you can get. But true worship is dependent always on who God is and what he's done. All God is and what he's done. And Christ's death and resurrection is the greatest work of God we declare. 
And we come to the communion table right now. It's a time to remember Christ's death. And how he sacrificed and suffered and died so that we may receive the forgiveness of sin. This is the wondrous deed of the Lord. That we might walk in freedom and new life in him. And the two elements we remember him by today are the bread, which represents his body that was crushed beyond recognition. And the juice, which represents his blood that was shed to cover and forgive us and cleanse us of all sin, that we may walk in freedom and new life in him. But, but, 1 Corinthians 11 says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. As we come to the table, watch this. Let a person examine himself. Examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is a great time to get low before the Lord and say, God, what am I worshiping that's not you? Just in the stillness of this time, go before the Lord in humility right now and say, God, what am I seeking that's not your presence? Let's be still and discerning right now and say, God, search my heart. Search my heart. And if you're here and you've never confessed Christ as your Savior, And I'm going to ask you to let the elements pass by. Communion is only for children of God who've been saved through repentance and faith. And we would love to come up and talk to you after the service. And we are so glad that you are here. Make sure that as as the ushers come forward now, you take two cups. And when we hang on to them, we'll take them together. Come on up. Father, we pray in this time now as we just be still before you right now. We've heard just a penetrating word from your word. It's so clear, God, that if we are to live hearts of worship, we must have hearts of dependence on you alone. So God, in this time, in your mercy, by your grace, would you just show us what we're depending on that's not you? Please? Would you show us what we're declaring that is not your name? Would you show us what we're seeking and has our devotion that's not you? And would you show us what we're failing to remember right now? In Jesus' name.